Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Sunday, November 4, 2018. Welcome back to the Eye on College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and I will talk to him in just a second. But before we do that, let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online, it can be a complicated process, but it does not have to be. Not with SeatGeek, and that's because SeatGeek searches multiple ticket sites for you. That way you know you're getting the best prices, best seats, best value. You type in what you're looking for in the search bar. Two clicks later, you're buying tickets. It could not be easier. For instance, I saw Kerry Washington on Colbert last week. She's promoting uh, this new Broadway show. She's doing American Son at the Booth Theater. Sounded interesting. I like Kerry Washington. So uh, uh, I'll be in New York City on Thursday and Friday. I swear to God, this is true. I opened up my SeatGeek app. I typed American Sun. My options popped up. Within minutes, your boy had front row seats. Row A, seat 107 for Thursday night show. Paid 167 for a front row ticket. SeatGeek made the whole deal simple and affordable. So next time you need tickets to anything, open that SeatGeek app, just like I did. Uh, open it on your phone. Get after it. And don't forget to use the promo code CollegeBB. That's promo code CollegeBB. That's how you'll get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. Do you love Olivia Pope, Norlander? Uh, I've never watched the show. I'm aware of who she is. Obviously a really talented actress. But, hey, that's good on you. That's a really good find. I've been more preoccupied with uh, with my Bears going to five and three and trying to trying to wrap up. I have three episodes of The Shield, which I'm a decade behind on. Uh, <laughs> before I, it was my off season like series. I started it literally like the week after the season ended, and then I'm not a huge binge guy, so I've done like an episode every couple of nights. So I've been more preoccupied with uh, with Michael Chiklis, <laughs> the lead actor in that. By the way, if you haven't seen it, The Shield is crazy underrated, even though it's considered really good. If for all the good pub that uh, Breaking Bad got, the Shield is did things that predated Breaking Bad that, in my opinion, make the Shield look even better. So anyway, that's my random tangent to start the podcast. Yeah, I never watched the Shield. I, I've, I've, I've from people I trust, I've heard good things. I never watched it. The one now that I've got to jump into is final season of House of Cards. It dropped two days ago. No, dropped like it's a rap album. Uh, <laughs> dropped two days ago, and I just haven't had a chance because I've been. 68 thoughts and predictions on the college basketball season. It's 5,500 words. It's published now at CBSSports.com, by the way, if you want to dive into that. So I haven't had a chance, but hopefully tomorrow morning on our flight, my flight, uh, to Indianapolis, I'll be able to catch an episode or 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 two. So we said on Friday's podcast that we'd use Sunday night's podcast to preview the Champions Classic, and that was not a lie. We're both flying to Indianapolis tomorrow. We're both going to be inside Banker's Life Fieldhouse on Tuesday night. It's number one, Kansas, versus number 10, Michigan State, a little after 7 Eastern. Then it's number two, Kentucky, versus number four, Duke, at around 9.30 Eastern. Now, let me break it down for you real quickly what it is we're going to be looking at. We have here in Indianapolis four top 10 teams, four Hall of Fame coaches, with a combined total of eight national championships, five of which, of course, belong to Coach K. Eight of the top 15 prospects from the class of 2018, according to 24-7 sports composite rankings, going to be in the building. That's number one, R.J. Barrett of Duke. Number two, Cam Reddish of Duke. Number five, Zion Williamson of Duke. Number three, E.J. Montgomery of Kentucky. Number 10, Quentin Grimes of Kansas. Number 12, Ashton Hagens of Kentucky. Number 14, Kelton Johnson of Kentucky. Number 15, Trey Jones of Duke. And if you go to Jonathan Gavoni's latest 2019 NBA mock draft, um, according to him, we're going to have five future top 10 picks in the building on Tuesday. That's Barrett, Williamson, Reddish, Grimes, and Johnson. And two CBS Sports Preseason first-team All-Americans, Duke's R.J. Barrett, Kansas' Dedrick Lawson, also going to be on display. So, Norlander, on a scale of one to erect, how excited are you for Tuesday night's Champions Classic? 
quite extended, quite aroused. This is going to be a really, <laughs> this is going to be quite, quite the evening there. And uh, well, I'm sure you're looking forward to what I would presumably would be sitting next to me at this event. Um, I'm looking forward to it for a lot of different reasons. But, but before we get into the breakdown of the game, here is here's why I'm so particularly excited. I love the fact that. You know, for the people listening to this podcast, you're, you're obviously big college basketball fans. And in the past, you've probably been excited for the start of the season like so many other seasons. But it would always start on that Friday. And there would be an occasional good game here or there. But the Champions Classic is always played on that Tuesday. And so Tuesday felt like the unofficial start of the season because it's such a, a centerpiece event. And it's also part of what ESPN used to do with the 24-hour marathon, which I don't think is happening anymore because of this new way that the college basketball season is starting. And so the night... Should be college basketballs. I understand that I believe, you know, Maction will be going on from a football perspective elsewhere. But this is absolutely the way you pull back the curtain on the season. You get Hall of Fame coaches, future lottery picks, big-time brands for programs, doubleheader. This is the way that you should do it. And so I'm excited for what we'll get into here with, with the teams and the players and all that stuff. But for the sport of college hoops, I just love that we finally have, have gotten to this point. And from what we can tell, there are plans to make this even better going forward in the years to come in terms of how the league will schedule. I think big conferences that are being forced to play, uh, such as the ACC that are going to 20, they're not being forced, they want to go to 20 league games. Um, they're going to try and get one or two conference games to start the season as well, which is going to feel weird, but at the same time, we'll get over it. If that means there are actual legitimate matchups between likely NCAA tournament teams and you got a little bit of a familiar familiarity with some rivalries, then yeah, that's going to be a great way to start the season in college basketball. So Parrish, I just love the fact that Tuesday, and there are others that we're going to get to on this podcast, by the way, it's not just the Champions Classic. There are some really, really interesting matchups at opposing venues on campus. We're not just talking, like, the Champions is a good neutral court environment, but there are going to be schools that figure to be really good teams this year that are going to be going on the road to playing in true road campus environments. That's really great. So beyond anything else, it's awesome that college basketball finally, call it a decade late, call it two decades late, is actually starting the season on the best day possible, which is that Tuesday night as you build into what will be the football weekend. I, n I never hesitate to bang on the NCAA when they do nonsensical things. So uh, I shouldn't hesitate. And we've talked, we've discussed this before when it became official, but I shouldn't hesitate um, to also point out when, when they do something smart and getting off of Friday is smart. Moving to Tuesday is smart. I, I will live to be a million and never understand why they decided to start college basketball season on a Friday night. It didn't work on two different levels. One um, it's not a night that people are used to watching college basketball on. You know, like like uh, you're used to watching college basketball on Monday nights and Tuesday nights and Wednesday nights and Thursday nights and Saturday nights and sometimes even Sunday nights. But Friday night, that's like Ivy League and almost nothing else uh, of relevance. And so why start on a night that people aren't used to watching um, uh, uh, basketball? Secondly, um, people aren't going to be excited about the start of your season heading into a college football NFL weekend. And by the time um, your games are over late on Friday night, in some instances, by Saturday morning, nobody cares because it's like it's football game days on. So you get away from that and you land on Tuesday, which, yeah, like if there's a Mac game, I, whatever, I'm unsure. Um, that should not matter to, to the, to, you know, on, shouldn't matter on the on the points that we're trying to make here. You The NFL weekend's behind you. The college football weekend's behind you. You're still multiple days away from NFL playing again. It, it really should be college basketball stage. The only issue, and I think it's just an issue in this particular year, 
the midterms are going to totally Great overshadow point. everything. Uh, but still, uh, this is this is absolutely the right way to start the college basketball season and to do it um, with such a massive event. Four top ten teams, four Hall of Fame coaches, all of these future pros. Um, it, it's it's just about as good as you could you could do. Let's take the games in the order that they're going to to be played. And so we'll start with number one Kansas against number 10 at Michigan State. Ken Palm projects the score. Kansas 79, Michigan State 72. What say you, Norlander? I agree. Wow. Uh, I agree with the outcome, and I'm pretty close to agreeing with the score. I'll have a – I think this will go up Tuesday morning, but I've essentially already written it. Just a, a quick, quick, you know, fun picks and predictions post for both of these games. And I think I've got Kansas winning, like – I think it's like 79-71. I did not look at the Kempom projections before that, so that's a little uh, freaky-deaky. I'm curious as to how good Kansas's defense is going to be right off the bat here, because actually I think that's what's going to win the game for the Jayhawks. I think we're both going to be on the same page here because we think Kansas is better than Michigan State. And I think that Michigan State, as they progress throughout the season, they're going to have one of the better offenses in the history of, of their program, frankly, and under Tom Izzo. I, I think they have the, the tools to do that, and at different levels. Three-point shooting, sure, absolutely. I think Nick Ward is going to be a really efficient player down low, and I think they have enough bigs there um, to make to make it so that they separate themselves within the Big Ten. But I don't know if that's going to click right away, night one, right off the bat. Having said all that, um, and before we can get to Duke, Kentucky, it'd be it'd be a nice little twist if we did get some sort of upset between uh, both these games and with one of these teams. I don't think that the more likely upset will be in this game, though. I think Kansas is well-built, obviously has the veterans, and is an older team. I would think Kansas, even though it's got some good freshmen in, because of the Lawsons and Charlie Moore, the transfers that Sat last season, Legerel Vic and Yudoka Azubuki are, are older. I, I would think that Kansas is actually older than Michigan State here. Um, I think it'll be a quality game. I don't necessarily know if it's going to be one, you know, 12 minutes, 8 minutes, 6 minutes to go in the second half, Parish, where it's going to be uh, completely riveting. Maybe Kansas keeps Michigan State uh, at elbows length for most of the second half, but I do think the Jayhawks will win. I think it'll be entertaining. I'm most interested to see how dominant Diedrich Lawson is in this game. Because uh, I think he has, I think he's got a chance to to look pretty pretty strong overall. Uh, but beyond all that, I want to see Grimes and then Devin Quentin Grimes and Devin Dotson, the freshman for Kansas. Uh, I think Grimes is going to be the better NBA player. I think Devin Dotson, if he stays three years, will be nearly at the level two seasons from now that Jalen Brunson was when he entered his junior season. Not quite at the Brunson level, but I think he's built for that. But I want. But the point is. They're going to go up and face a veteran Michigan State backcourt. Will they? Are they going to show up and play well right away? Are they going to have a little bit of their struggles? If they both do struggle, then maybe you see a close game. But regardless, I've got the Jayhawks winning by, you know, not quite double digits, but right in that realm. Yeah, I think Kansas wins somewhere between five, seven, eight points. Um, there's a reason they're the number one team in your rankings, number one team AP poll, number one team on, in the coaches poll, number one team at, at Ken Palm. Like on paper, they, they – you know, I've got Kentucky, and I I can make the Kentucky argument, but I I I don't I I, I accept the uh, idea that that Kansas on paper is the is the best team in the country. Your point about them being old, even if they've got a lot of newcomers, is 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 smart because Dedrick Lawson is in his fourth year of college. KJ Lawson is in his fourth year of college. Charlie Moore is in his third year of college. I mean, these are people who. Um, you know, they've, they've, you know, they're just older and in college basketball as Villanova has showed us, uh, you know, twice in the past three years, North Carolina in between, um, you know, having quality older guys is, 
is not something everybody has, so you shouldn't take it for granted. Um, but it is also a massive, massive advantage. Not not just old guys, but like quality older guys. And Kansas has quality older guys. Diedrich, uh, for people who didn't pay attention to exhibition stuff, you know, scored twenty four and he averaged twenty four and a half points and ten and a half rebounds in KU's. Um, two exhibitions, and I think most impressively, not that that's not impressive, he was six of eight from three-point range, seventy-five percent, and one seventy-five percent or some great percentage when he, you know, he, in a very, very, very small sample size. Like we're not talking about he was one of two or two for three. He's six of eight. You know, he shot four a game on average, and he made three of the four on average. For people who don't know exactly what seventy-five percent means, um, so that was the one of the problems at Memphis, and really one of the things that that keeps him off of or kept him off of NBA radars. Besides not being a a, a good athlete, is that he could he would take that three-point shot, but he didn't shoot a good percentage in either season at Memphis. And I don't know that he's going to be a a dynamic three-point shooter, but he is uh, just naturally effective around the rim. And if he can now um, step away from the basket and knock down that shot consistently, and I had heard over the past year that he had gotten way more comfortable out there, then he's he's just going to be really, really tough to deal with. Because, again, around the rim, he's, he's almost impossible, and even if he doesn't really play above the rim. And if he can make that shot enough to make you guard him out there, then Kansas becomes tough. You know, they come they become tough to deal with on that side of the court. Yeah, a lingering thought with Kansas. You're absolutely right. And for those that listen to the podcast that are really diehard college basketball fans, you're probably aware of how good Lawson was at Memphis. Or frankly, you know, there's no doubt you've got a lot of uh, crossover between your radio show in Memphis and this podcast. So th- those people are aware of how good Dietrich Lawson was. But I do think that he is set up this season to be a true breakout star. Where to the point where a lot of people that frankly just haven't seen him a lot might be like, "Holy crap! How did Kansas get this guy? He came from Memphis." and he's this good. Yeah, he can't be that good. But how about this? I think that Yudoka Azabuki, who might not have more than two or three players at the Division One level, GP, that are are actually similar in what they're tasked to do and what they're capable of doing as a college player. And I'm, I think that he is going to be an, and just an outright beast this season. Now, he will be a liability in late games, and maybe Kansas goes to some weird lineups because they don't want to put him on the foul line. He's not a good foul shooter. Or, hell, maybe he's gotten better and he's cre- he's creeping into that 60% range. And if that's the case, then that's obviously a dynamic that will even better Kansas' outlook. But I'm not. let's just let's say that it's not going to happen. I still think that as a Buki uh, can be set up for an utterly dominant season to the point where if Lawson is as – uh, as gifted and as uh, dynamic as what you were laying out there, it's going to make it all the t- all the tougher to play Kansas because you're just not going to be able to double Udoka. And if you can't double Udoka, he's going to get points off of garbage boards. He's going to get points off the low post. He just physically, he's so hard to handle. And that's why I like Kansas so much because they've got a lot of interesting wings and guards, just like last year, even though there's some new faces. But I do think this will be a... A big year for Azubuki, not like All-American, not first-team All-Big 12, just a dude where like every single game that Kansas, has play, Kansas plays, their opponent is going to know that they're just not going to be able to stop him from getting at least eight boards and at least 12 points in a really physical manner. And you know what? Some There, there are going to be some nights probably where he goes for 18 and 15. I think he set up for that kind of year. So keep that in mind. He has been a really good college player for a while, but he's grown and gotten better. And I think that he is really entering into a situation where he's going to have a lot of opportunity because of how much attention Dietrich lost and will inevitably draw. I went back and watched um, some of the, the video from 
Kansas's exhibitions. And one thing that stood out besides Diedrich, you know, making jumpers consistently and just getting easy buckets and, and rebounding at a high level like like he did at Memphis in two seasons was that he and Doak looked very comfortable playing together, like passing to each other, big to big stuff. And um, I think you can reasonably argue and you might not even have to argue. It might just be accepted. Is that the best four or five combo in the country? Doak and Diedrich? I think so. Um, now, I think so. But if – and we're going to get to Duke, Kentucky here in a minute. If we get to a situation where I, I guess like if, if Cam is going to be considered – Cam Reddish is going to be considered a four and Zion Williamson is a small ball five, maybe you know Duke is going to enter the country, enter that conversation beyond any other team in the country. But if you're looking for like more traditional here, if you're looking for like a true five – probably, but I will throw another one out there. Now, I'm not as high on Bull Bull as a lot of people, but even though he's like this, you know, crazy center that has a lot of range, judging off what he's done in exhibition play, if he's going to be shooting fadeaway three-pointers and cashing him, like, forget about it. But if he's, but you know, call him a traditional five, and then if if Louis King, who is, frankly, who is a freshman that's got crazy talent, Louis King, wait till you see him once he gets healthy, they could contend as well, but Entering the season, I think it is firmly Kansas, and it'll be interesting to see, given the way that college basketball and how it's treated, just like the NBA, how it's treating centers, how it's treating power forwards and not necessarily as power forwards, how many teams will even be able to put two players that are in the same kind of conversation, given what they will be asked to do the way that Kansas will be with Diedrich and Yudoka Azubuki. So, yeah, I would put them at the top, but there'll be some interesting, if not slightly different, uh, candidates that will show themselves in the first couple weeks of the season. And so if you're Michigan State, in the first game in the season after you lose Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson, um, you've got to deal with, again, arguably the, the toughest 4-5 or five matchup in the country, Diedrich Lawson and Yudoka Azabuki. Um, still got Nick Ward. He averaged 12.4 points, 7.1 rebounds, and 18.9 minutes per game last season. But still, um, I think it's reasonable to suggest Kansas has a pretty significant front court advantage. Uh, on Tuesday night, Michigan State, um, and this got talked about uh, last season, but as they, uh, you know, rolled to a Big Ten title, um, it, it got it became less of a part of the conversation. But you know, they turned the ball over 19.2 percent of their offensive possessions last season. That ranked 236th in the nation, and like you know, a, a lot of the guys who had the ball in their hands are back. You know, but I guess if you're looking for some good news. Uh, 3.8 of the turnovers per game. They averaged 13 turnovers per game, by the way, playing at the 234th ranked tempo in the country. But 3.8 of the 13 turnovers they averaged per game, uh, or 29.2% of them, came from Jaron Jackson and Miles Bridges, who are no longer around. So perhaps that helps fix that problem. But um, my, my larger point is you, you're not going to be able to turn the ball over one out of every five possessions on Tuesday night and beat the number one team in the country. That's how you'll get run off, run off the floor. Yeah, okay, so Michigan's you're absolutely right. Like, if that does happen, they've got absolutely no shot. Um, two, the two biggest things I'm looking for with Michigan State on Tuesday, it's not necessarily if Cassius Winston winds up being the best player on this team or Nick Ward or anything like that. I want to see if Josh Langford, as a junior, who was – he like, he was underwhelming as a freshman, good, not as good as he should have been last year. How does he adjust right off the bat? If Michigan State wants to be a Final Four team, in my opinion, Josh Langford's got to be the kind of player they thought he would be when he committed. And then you mentioned all the turnovers. 
There's a freshman named Foster Lawyer who is going to – he would be the player that I would say he's the, he's the one freshman that people don't really know about, even if you follow the sport pretty intensely. If you're not a Michigan State fan or you're just, you weren't up on his recruitment, the name probably just doesn't ring a bell whatsoever. But Foster Lawyer might wind up being a pretty critical uh, option 1B as the season goes on to cash us in the backcourt. So if he winds up being the kind of player that is responsible with the ball and can really be a stopgap, could be huge. If there's one guy – like if there's one freshman in between both games that I think has a shot at just at least making us say, oh, hey, how about this dude? Not like going to have a huge game, just like, hey, he stepped in right away and did something. Uh, I would keep an eye on him overall, but we're on the same page here. We think Kansas is going to is gonna win. Regardless, the, the fact that that is even uh, the undercard just speaks to the power of the teams in the event overall and why Tuesday night's going to be so great. Let's move on to the nightcap. It's number two, Kentucky versus number four, Duke. Kim Palm projected score, Duke 78, Kentucky 77. What say you, Norlander? I say Duke. I'll say Duke. Actually, I made a pick. Uh, I made a prediction for this for the for the local Kentucky paper. I think it was like 79-73, Kentucky winning. Um I think it's going to be close, and then I'll say Kentucky pulls away a little bit late. Um, I wonder if we're going to be split on this. But I do, I, you know, I, you have Kentucky better than Duke to start the season. I would think that you're going to also have Kentucky winning this, but we'll find out in just a second. I, the reason why I like Kentucky over Duke here is more because of Duke than it is because of Kentucky, and that's not to take anything away from the Wildcats, who I, I think are built so beautifully to do so well right away, as I mentioned on the previous podcast. In fact, if Kentucky gets to the mid-80s to high ni- to low 90s GP, I won't be stunned because Duke was a problem on defense a lot last season. Uh, in fact, it was a talking point to the, to the point where I was fatigued by it by the time the tournament even started. Now you bring in four freshmen. Obviously, Zion's got that chase-down block ability, um, and just Zion in general is going to be a thing uh, on Tuesday night. But absent of him, how reliable will this Duke team be defensively? And you know what? If... If they wind up winning and the final score is 73-66, then yeah, we should talk about it on the next podcast. Perhaps one of us should write about it on Tuesday night because I don't think a lot of people are expecting Duke defensively to show up well. They're expecting Duke to compete for this game and have a chance to win, do it in flashy fashion with four freshmen that easily could all be first-round picks in next June's draft and and maybe do it with um, with some sloppy style. If that happens, I won't be surprised at all. But the defense is why I think Kentucky's going to win. I think they've got enough there, and I don't think Duke's going to be able to handle what Kentucky's got down low uh, consistently enough over 40 minutes. So I've got Duke winning a good game. Won't run away with it, but maybe find some separation in the, in the closing minutes. You've got Duke winning? or Oh, did I say Duke? I've got Kentucky. Sorry, I've got Kentucky winning. Um, yeah, I provided a pick for the Lexington Herald-Leader as well, and mine was 74-71. Kentucky and I don't have Kentucky winning for the same reason you have them winning although your reason makes sense to me I I, I'm I simply have them winning because they have old players in 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 a in a way that is very rare for a John Calabria coach team um, at Kentucky and you should never have more of an advantage with experience than when you are playing a, a young team on opening night. And it doesn't mean that R.J. Barrett and Zion can't come out and win this game because they can. They are that talented. Duke is the more talented team when you're talking about NBA talent. It, it, you almost never say that against somebody when you're talking about somebody playing Kentucky. But Kentucky is not the most talented team. 
you know, on that court on Tuesday night. It's Duke. You know, Zion, RJ, and Cam might all be top five picks. And I don't believe a school has ever had three top five picks in the same draft before. I did a, you know, a, a, some very basic research on this. Went back, look at UCLA, looked at uh, K- K- uh, North Carolina, Duke, Kentucky, you know, some of the schools that might be candidates for this type of thing. And I could find no evidence that any school has ever put three players in the top five of the same NBA draft. A lot of schools have put, in two, have put two in, Kentucky with Michael K. Gilchrist and Anthony Davis. But I couldn't find anybody who had ever put three, and Duke might do that in next June's NBA draft. They're the more talented team, but I just think it's such a big advantage to have sophomore P.J. Washington, sophomore Quad A. Green, and graduate transfer Reed Travis. Like I've said many times, if you listen to the podcast, you probably know it. Um, only once ever at Kentucky has John Calipari had a roster featuring three players, at least three players, who averaged at least nine points per game at the Division One level in the season prior. And it was the 2011-2012 championship team. In that 2010-2011 season, Terrence Jones averaged 15.7 points, Deron Lamb averaged 12.3, Darius Miller averaged 10.9. They all came back to school for the 2011-2012 season and teamed with Anthony Davis, Michael K. Gilchrist, and Marcus Teague to win a national title. Similarly, I think, although there's obviously no Anthony Davis on this roster, um, last season, Reed Travis averaged 19.5 points. P.J. Washington averaged 10.8. Quade Green averaged 9.3. They're all on this team. Um, they, they've been joined by a freshman class filled with five-star prospects. And when John Calipari has this kind of roster balance, his teams are usually fantastic from start to finish. I don't expect anything different from this team. Yeah, I think they're going to look sharp. Will they look as strong as they're going to look in mid-February? No, I don't expect that to be the case. But I do think that Kentucky is going to show itself to be pretty good on Tuesday night to the point where we might even walk away from that second game uh, and this might be a bit predictable, but maybe the game will be so good that it leads us to say these kind of things where Kentucky looks so good and Duke, even if it's got some issues, looks so good where we say, well, you know, damn, wouldn't it be just fantastic if somehow we could work our way to come full circle and have this season start with these two playing each other and have it end in April with these two playing each other, uh, which obviously has never happened and would be the absolute best thing that could ever happen uh, for college basketball and frankly for <laughs> for our network. Uh, for a Duke-Kentucky national championship would be insane and hopefully we live to see that happen one day. Um, but we'll see. I, I do think Kentucky is... When did we almost get one? 2015? Uh well fifteen yeah yes. right they were both that, in it. they were both in it we yeah Al's undefeated team and they lose to Wisconsin if they don't lose to Wisconsin on that Monday night we've got Duke against undefeated Kentucky for the national title forget Woo. it I know forget it and and like yeah this that would have been crazy um but that was still a, a terrific terrific Final Four um so we are on the same page there. Uh, I would be, and I'll, I'll close with this on the on the that game, Parrish. I would be surprised, like genuinely surprised, if Kentucky lost and it lost by double digits. If it came out looking rusty, if it's going to have like it hasn't been a great three point shooting team in recent years, and it should be better this year. Like if it comes out and doesn't shoot well from three, that's not going to surprise me. But if it, if it's not clicking all over the place, um, that would be a shock to me. And I'm basing that off of not just the roster and the age, but and I don't take a ton of stock in exhibition play, but the team looked good in the Bahamas. You know, Tyler Hero 
he could absolutely be the name that comes out of Kentucky on Tuesday night. If he steps in and, and goes for 19 points and hits five three-pointers while doing it, then yeah, he's going to be a big-time deal. It's going to be an immediate story off of that. So I think that's the least likely. If you looked at all four teams that are playing, to me the least likely broad scenario of any of the teams is Kentucky losing by double digits and looking like it just rolled out of bed by doing so. I don't think they're going to do that, and that hasn't always been the case, obviously, in the first week or two in years past with some of these Kentucky teams. So I, th- I expect them to show up and look pretty good. You you mentioned Tyler Hero. I I love Cal going out and and grabbing him. Just like hey, let me get let me get a shooter on my roster because I don't think throughout his tenure at Kentucky and even even at Memphis uh, at Kentucky you can you can pick your players a little easier than you maybe can um, at, at the University of Memphis. Um, I, I don't know that he's always been great about saying you know what I just need. I want to get caught with no shooters. Let me go get a shooter, even if he might not be an NBA prospect. So he goes out and gets Tyler Hero, who is a shooting guard from Wisconsin, who is like a borderline top 40 player. I mean, good enough to be at Kentucky, but not the type of guy Kentucky usually enrolls. And he started the second exhibition and, you know, did what he did. He like, like shooting is translatable. And he went out and just made shot after shot after shot. And I went and watched um, a lot of that exhibition. And what you notice is that they were really good about finding him. He's not going to be the guy who creates his own three-point shot. You know, he was. they were finding him in transition. He was finding a spot. They were finding him in transition. Or he was giving the ball up and then getting it right back. Boom, knocking that shot down. So you're, you're exactly right. I don't know what John's going to do in terms of a starting lineup. Uh, on Tuesday night because he, he did two totally different starting lineups uh, in the two exhibitions. The only two players who started both games were P.J. Washington and, and Reed Travis, so you can ass- to to be in that lineup. But Tyler Hero's got a chance to – I mean, if you find him, uh, you know, when when you are playing with the types of talents that are on that Kentucky roster, you know, they, they can't help off of the other people. They can't, you know, they, 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 you're going to get clean looks. And if he gets clean looks and gets going, it, it could be a fun night. I, I really love John going out and, and, and signing him uh, because er, I've never watched a basketball team and thought they had too many shooters. I've watched a lot and thought they don't have enough. Uh, Kentucky is, is, is going to be a better shooting team this season, strictly, not strictly because of him, but, but he's good enough to make them better just by himself. He is. He'll be he'll be probably the most important long distance shooter, but they have other like uh, Jamal Baker who didn't play last year uh, for the most of most of the season. He's going to be uh, involved in the offense, and he was their best three point option last year before the injury came. And then, if you're curious, just generally speaking about who Kentucky has coming in, um, Keldon Johnson. In speaking with uh, you know those around the Kentucky program. Keldon Johnson is considered to be probably the best freshman, uh, you know, draft prospect that they have. Will obviously have some some good shooting ability and and very well could be a, a top ten pick. Um, so keep an eye on him. They they got a lot of guys. Like we'll see how much the freshmen make an impact versus uh, the returning players, and then and then Travis as a grad transfer. But Keldon Johnson could be the one guy where like he was not. It's interesting because he was he was like a five star known prospect and all that stuff, but he it's weird. And I think I wrote this, gosh, Parrish, I've written so many preseason things, I've lost track of it. But I wrote this at some point in October. Uh, Keldon, to me, is the best Kentucky freshman uh, 
that has the least amount of hype attached to his name heading into a season. Normally, you'll have the best Kentucky freshman, the most highly rated one, and then obviously there's been one, two, even three years worth of discussion, features, hype, whatever you want to say, attached to his name. Um, and I, it's, he's not even the highest rated uh, prospect that's a freshman. I believe it is um, E.J. Montgomery, who's a top 10, who was a top 10 2018 recruit, 247. But at this point, Keldon is expected to be the best, and we haven't had a situation like this where the guy who was expected to be the best as a freshman had this little buzz around him. Now, maybe that changes by Wednesday morning, but I'm intrigued to see what happens there as well. One last point on, on Kentucky. Um, I, I often say, you know, when John Calipari has this kind of roster balance, his teams are almost always great from start to finish. Um, I went and actually like dug in this afternoon in preparation for this, but also in preparation for Tuesday night. And what I found was something pretty interesting. Um, when at least one of Kentucky's top three scores is not a freshman, and when at least three of UK's top six scores are not freshmen, so I need one of the top three to not be a freshman, and I need three of the top six to not be freshmen. When that's the case at Kentucky under John Calipari, and it's happened four times so far, it's usually a great sign. Um, I, I think you and I agree that Reed Travis, a P.J. Washington, and Quade Green are going to be three of Kentucky's top six scores, and one of them is going to be in the top three. I mean, Reed Travis will probably lead the team in scoring. I would assume that. So... This 2018-19 team presumably is going to qualify for what I just explained. So it'll become the fifth Kentucky team under John Calipari to fit that description. Again, one of the top three scores has to not be a freshman. Three of the top six scores have to not be freshmen. The four previous times it's happened, in 2010, and that team started 19-0, finished 35-3, got a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. The next time it happened, 2012. That team started 32-1, and finished 38-2, and got a number one seed in the NCAA tournament. The next time it happened, 2015. That team started 38-0, finished 38-1. and It had a one seed in the NCAA tournament and was clearly the best team in the country that season, even if it didn't win a national championship. And then it happened again in 2016. And that team started 7-0, finished 27-9, and ended up with a four seed in the NCAA tournament. So that's the one flaw. But one thing to point out, is that that is a season in which their top incoming freshman was a total bust, Scal Avisier. Like, if Scal would have been anything close to what a typical, you know, uh, top five prospect in the country is supposed to be, then, then, then that team never struggles. But that team did struggle. Still, it got a four seed in the NCAA tournament. So even though most of John's teams at Kentucky have ended up being really good, you know, four of the nine have made the final four. The truth is sometimes they do have a bit of a rocky road, but that's when they're heavily reliant on freshmen in, 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 or totally, almost totally reliant on freshmen. But rosters that are built like this roster, three of them, like, were awesome. November, December, January, February, March. Got one seeds in the NCAA tournament, and the only one that wasn't awesome was still good. And it was still good, even though the top prospect it was a, was a complete non-factor. So that's something to just tuck away and keep in mind. If you're skeptical of this Kentucky team, um, all of the data and history suggests you really shouldn't be. All right, so love this doubleheader, but I also love the fact that there are other good games elsewhere on Tuesday. And I'm talking games between teams like 
Parrish, I'd say the four games we're going to get to here, there is a pretty good shot that all eight teams should play in the 2019 NCAA tournament. One of them will come from a one-bid league for certain, so that is more to chance than others. But, by the way, that team can absolutely win on Tuesday night, by the way. They've got a great shot. they got the game on their home floor, and we'll get to that. So how do you want to go about breaking this down and giving people heads up as to the other games they should be aware of on what's going to be a great Tuesday night? Well, let's go. Let's just go um, in the order in which they have a team that is that is ranked. Um, so BYU at number seven, Nevada. That tips off late. It's on CBS Sports Network. That's my favorite uh, college sports network. Um, BYU at Nevada, and like we've talked about before, Nevada is going to be favored in every regular season game that they play, barring injuries. Um, you know, I, I I think they're. I think on Selection Sunday they're really going to be sitting there at like thirty-one and three. Um, but, but BYU is a top 60 Ken Palm team in the preseason. So maybe they can make this interesting. I, I doubt it, but, but maybe they could, I think they're going to have a good offense. I think BYU will make the NCAA tournament this season. I think they will be the best second best team in the WCC, a, a distant second to Gonzaga, but I think the WCC will be a multi-bid league and BYU is going to accumulate enough there to get in, or they're going to just steal the auto bid, uh, when it comes to that league's tournament in March, this is uh, the toughest team outside of San Diego State that Nevada will face at home this season. So if it's going to lose, you know, it, it, at home, which I don't think it will, by the way. I don't think – I do not think – I think we're on the agreement there, Parrish. Nevada is going to go undefeated at home this season. But there's still going to be enough – like we talk, we've talked a lot about teams with age. Um, this will be the – this will be the oldest – This Parrish, this might be the oldest game – of the entire season. Like, I don't know if there'll be two rosters that have a combined, like if you took age on age on age, every player's age and added it up, like the, the dudes on these rosters are like 750 years old. Cause it's BYU. It's, it's, it's Mormons who go on missions and then return as 22 year olds. Nevada has God knows how many 22 year olds might even have snuck a 23 year old into that mix. So I, you would think that this will be as well played as it possibly could be for a season opener. But yeah, this is the late tip for the hardcores. CBS Sports Network. This this does have a potential to go two ways, uh, or three ways, really. It's a close game, and you're glad you watched it either way. Nevada wins easily, and you get a sneak peek at what should be a top-10 team wire-to-wire this season. Or BYU stuns in, uh, stuns Nevada, and then we can talk about the fallout from that. But also, it can be a moment of arrival for BYU. And by the way, that could wind up being the kind of road win, start of the season, that clinches their at-large status when we get to March. I would assume like there's going to be a time this season where Nevada has been rolling and they, you know, slip from a focus perspective just a little bit. And maybe you can catch them in Reno. I doubt it, but maybe, but you ain't catching them on an opening night. I mean, opening night in Reno of the most anticipated season in school history. Like it, I, I wouldn't want any part of this game <laughs> if I were BYU or really anybody else. How about this? I wouldn't pick anybody to beat Nevada. Tuesday night in Reno. Duke, Kentucky, Kansas, nobody. I wouldn't pick anybody to beat Nevada on Tuesday night in Reno, and I ain't so I'm not picking BYU. I'm not picking BYU either. And as you say that, I'm listen, no one's gonna do this, but I'm tossing this out to the to whatever listener might actually be ridiculous enough to want to do this and keep us honest. If you want to track our predictions the entire year, I'm not talking spread. I'm just talking straight up. Um, feel free to do that, and then let us know 
Like, but don't tell us you're doing it. Like, let it. Like, hit us with a tweet in like mid January after we've been doing this and we have no idea how bad we are at it. I'd actually be genuinely curious to see how we fare across the season because as this goes along, we're just we're going to inevitably be picking games on a lot of these podcasts, and I would like someone to hold us accountable for it. So if there's an enterprising listener out there, you have my open invitation to uh, to let us know, and we'll be sure to embarrass ourselves at some point later in the year. Hey, this is where you and I are different. I don't like to be held accountable. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I I don't like people to keep track of the things that I say. I like to keep track of the things that I say that are right and remind you about how right I was over and over again. And then we just don't talk about the other stuff. Now I want it done even more. That might have <laughs> see the fact that you said that. Now someone's definitely going to do it, and I'm thanking that person right now. Uh, we got number eight, North Carolina at Wofford. Shouts to Roy Williams for being able to uh, being willing to take a blue blood program to Spartanburg, South Carolina, to open the season. Wofford, of course, wins in Chapel Hill last season, so this is a rematch. Will the Tar Heels get their revenge? <laughs> oh boy, does do either of us have the guts to take Wofford in this one? I don't, uh, but I do think it's got a great shot at being a really good game. Wofford, of course, has Fletcher McGee, who's the most well-known player on that team. Wofford should be the best team in the SoCon this season. And we've had seasons, you know, in the past three, four, five years where there's been, um, you know, a small team upset a big team. In fact, I think it was three years ago. I think it was the same year that, that Monmouth went on the road to UCLA and won on that opening night. Uh, you talk about like the season starting on a Friday and it being a terrible thing. Like that was an amazing thing that happened at like one fifteen Eastern, and that win. Like unless you were so into college hoops, like that didn't actually accumulate value until we started talking about Monmouth's bench. Like by the end of December. Um, so if Wofford were able to get a win on a Tuesday night and it kind of you know bleeds into the Wednesday conversation, that'd be awesome for that program. And they do have a really good shot. But I'm going to take North Carolina to win here. Keep an eye on Kobe White. Now, Nasir Little is projected to be the number the number one draft pick off of this team, if not the number one overall pick. Um, you know, you mentioned Gavoni earlier in the podcast. Little is in that conversation at this point. Looks like only three or four players right now are really considered um, on the board at the number one overall spot, and Little is one of them. But I'm telling you, Kobe White won the starting point guard job, is going to be tasked with doing a lot right away, um, and he is a very fun player. So I think that he has got a shot at being a, a, an unsuspecting name to know early on in the season, but I'll take North Carolina to win uh, somewhere along the lines to say, I think this will actually be a fun shootout. So give me like 88 to 84, uh, Fletcher McGee with a good game, and obviously this you know, it's a big game for him just going up against a power program uh, because he also is a, is an NBA prospect. Yeah, I, I'll take North Carolina by about 10. Um, you know, perhaps in a, a – I just think it's very difficult to not have focus in the opening game of any season. Like, that, that does not make sense to me. But especially in the opening game of a season against a team that beat you last season and you're in their home arena now. And so – um, I think North Carolina goes in there and wins wins by about ten. But either way, just the idea that Roy um, would is willing to. I mean, some 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 coaches have no a programs like North Carolina. They don't even want to play a road game period against anybody. Like even if it's um, a, a, a a program that also operates at the highest level of the sport. So Roy being willing to do this, I, I think, should not go unnoticed. And uh, it'll make for a fun a fun night that those Wofford players and. The students and fans will remember forever. Remember the time the Tar Heels came in here? 
with Hall of Fame coach Roy Williams and maybe number one overall draft pick Nasir Little. Like that's a story people will tell. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, if only because I really like um, I, I really like the just the very basic fact that that the game is being played. We've got Florida at number 17, Florida State, and so Florida is unranked in the AP poll. Florida State 17th. But they're both in the top 20 at Ken Palm and not separated by much. So there's really not much difference between these two teams. And Florida State's going to be without Phil Colfer, who is their leading returning scorer. So uh, I won't be shocked if Florida goes in there and wins in Tallahassee on opening night. I'm picking the Gators to win. And Florida State fans just lay off me because I picked I, every pick I made involving Florida State during the NCAA tournament was wrong. So I picked them to lose the first three, and then I picked them to win the Elite Eight. And so maybe I'll go five for five and being terrible with this. Um, Florida State's got a really good player in Terrence Mann. Trent Forrest is an underrated player, I think, even within the ACC. So they're, they're two of the most uh, entertaining, important players, I'd say, in the league, given how much they mean to their, their team. You mentioned Kofor's out. That's going to be the deciding factor for me. I will take the Gators to win. They bring back some important pieces, of course. Uh, Kavon Allen. You know, maybe uh, maybe has a chance at, at really popping here and, and being the kind of um, MVP for that team that gets them into the conversation uh, at competing for the SEC title. But I still think for as good as Allen is, Jalen Hudson will wind up proving to be the the better and o- better overall player for the Gators this year, Parrish. So I'll take I'll take uh, I'll take UF and and what I think will actually be the closest game of the night. I'll you know I'll take them somewhere along the lines of like seventy one sixty nine. Um, but that's cool. You know I obviously in that game in football means so much so much more. But uh, these two teams, I believe, play each other in basketball just about every season as well. To start the season with this game, it's a cool little deal, interstate rivalry. I'll take the Gators, but I think both these teams are pretty equal, both top 25 caliber. Kim Palm's got Florida State um, projected as a five-point winner, but I'm taking the Gators. Florida on the road, starting 1-0. Western Kentucky at Washington. That's number 25, Washington. That's the 25th ranked uh, Washington Huskies, Matt Norlander. Do you respect them? Oh, I respect them. I respect them so much that I think they're going to be the second best team in the Pac 12 this season. And, and my Jet League's terrible. It, it is. We'll see what the Pac 12 can or cannot be. Now, Western Kentucky has some suspensions going on right now. So. I probably would have picked Washington no matter what, but the fact that they're not going to have a full roster available leads me to pick uh, UW even more so here. Uh, Matisse Tyboul, who did not quite crack our top 101 list of players, I think we're going to come to regret that. This dude is a freak on defense, uh, and I think he'll be fantastic in this game. For Western Kentucky, Charles Bassey is the name to know. Already right now... Probably the most talented player. I know there are good players in the league, John Elmore Marshall being first and foremost at the top of that list. But we could come to learn in short order here, Parrish, that Charles Bassey is just is just going to be a force that can't be matched within Conference USA. So uh, I'm intrigued to see what he does against what's going to be, I think, probably the second-best defensive team in the Pac-12 to Oregon. Uh, Washington should be ready. This should be an NCAA tournament team this season. Um I've got them winning. And, in fact, I mentioned I think Florida-Florida State will be the closest of the games we've talked about. I think this will be the uh, 
the, the not closest, the, f- the furthest apart in score. Um, I'll take Washington along the lines of, say, 81-64. Um, but regardless, it is an intriguing one because I do think both of these teams will wind up in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I mean, it's intriguing because you get um, a Washington Pac-12 program playing Western Kentucky and the best NBA prospect by far on either roster, belongs to Western Kentucky. That's Charles Bassey. Like I've said before, he is going to be the highest-rated high school prospect to play in Conference USA since Tyreek Evans played in Conference USA 2008-2009 before Memphis left for the American Athletic Conference, obviously before John Calipari left for uh, Kentucky. But uh, I'm with you. I I just don't think you fly across the country and beat a 25th-ranked Washington team in the opener. But I I am looking forward to seeing Bassey. And and, and really, that's a reason. And we haven't had a whole lot last year uh, or in recent years, again, since – since Memphis left CUSA, you know, that league has fallen off a little bit. It doesn't, um, it, you know, Memphis uh, allowed a spotlight to be shine on it that, that, that it no longer exists. I, I think John Elmore is, is now a player people know. You know, he averaged like 24 game last year, got 27 in that uh, round of 64 win over Washington, uh, Wichita State. So I think John Elmore is at least known, and people are now more aware that Marshall's fun. And so that's good for the league. But having a pro prospect is never a bad thing. So, um, yeah, getting getting your first look at Charles Bassey, that's going to be fun. It will be. Uh, and we'll see what else happens uh, Tuesday night. You know, there's there's a boatload of games and interesting teams, but frankly they just don't have interesting matchups. So we'll wait and see what upsets may or may not occur. And then we're going to podcast again on Wednesday. I'm very much looking forward to seeing GP uh, in less than 24 hours from now. So uh, get a good dinner in and get to catch up. And we're not going to podcast in person. Frankly, that (laughs) that involves me bringing a lot of equipment. And the last time this happened, I lost microphones. So I still need to. Did you ever get those back? Never. Yeah, that that did not happen. No. (laughs) Yeah, just absolutely. Terrible, terrible. So, uh, but regardless, you know, that will happen at this season, unquestionably. We will do a face-to-face podcast in person probably multiple times. But here, just because of the travel and the way that our podcast, you know, schedule is set up, we're just going to both be obviously uh, heading back home on Wednesday and we'll have to podcast uh, soon thereafter. So we wait and see. But it, it should be it should be good. And I want to give a shout-out to you um, and to anyone that, like, if – if this kind of podcast is getting you psyched for the season, and I really hope it is because I'm I'm so ready for games, Parrish. I'm so freaking ready. Be sure to read Parrish's column up at CBSSports.com about the 68 things he's he'll you know he's psyched about and predictions for the season. Um, as someone who reads content for a lot of different sports, particularly in the preseason, it's, it's that kind of stuff that gets me all the more eager. I've got a, a thing of 37 predictions, which we talked about in the last podcast. Be sure to check that out. Um, if you haven't seen the 1 through 353 rankings, please <laughs> do me a favor and give that a click as well. But we have a lot of content. Shout out to Kyle Boone, Jerry Palm, getting stuff up on the site as well, Chip Patterson as well. So cbssports.com, there's a ton there. And this will be the last podcast we do before the season officially starts. I think it'll be a pretty good one, a pretty fun one, primarily uh, from a mainstream standpoint, because the teams that are expected to be good are both traditional powers. And then, like, we think Gonzaga and Nevada are going to be good. They're just going to be fun to watch. You know, Gonzaga every year is good. Nevada maybe not not as much. But the teams that are even not traditional year over year, top 10, top 15 quality, they're going to be really enjoyable to watch. So uh, I'm looking forward to it, man. Can't wait for the season to start. 8.30 Eastern right now on Sunday night. I think in 24 hours, we're going to be having a shrimp cocktail at St. Elmo. 
<laughs> that uh, that we more more than just one, but yes, that we will uh, as is mandatory. By the way, as media members from out of town, like we have to do the obvious trite, you know, cliche thing to do. But whatever, man. That that there are so like, I don't care if it's a cliche, like dude, that, that is so worth it. That 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 stuff lives up to the hype. No, yeah, I love St. Elmo. It's like it's it's one of my favorite steakhouses of anywhere I go in the country. And yeah. so um, I made the reservation. I was just sitting around one night, and when I booked my flight and my hotel, I went. I guess I need to go ahead and get, try to see if I can get a table at St. Elmo, and because obviously you've got tons of Kentucky fans there, tons of Kansas fans there, Duke fans, Michigan State fans. So like everybody's trying to go to St. Elmo. So the best I could do is a table for four, but I still don't know who's all going. I just know it's me and you. I think. Yeah, well, uh... I, I, I haven't invited anybody else because I don't want to not invite somebody, right? Because like every all of our friends are there, so I haven't invited anybody else um, because I didn't want to have to say, yeah, I invited, yeah, I invited, I invited Dana. That's why I didn't invite you. So here's here's the deal: if you are a college basketball writer with whom we're friendly, not just anybody. If we don't like you and you don't like us, don't don't respond. But if we are, uh, if we're friendly, and you made it all the way to the end of podcast, I got two extra chairs at a table, uh, St. Elmo for Monday night. You can join us, I guess. Just text me. All right, good deal, man. Looking forward to seeing you, bud. What time do you land? Let's get the details. I, I don't think I need to lay out my itinerary here on the podcast, but I should be I, on. I should. I, be on I, the... I would like. I would like to know your confirmation number. If you don't mind. <laughs> Hotel check-in, all that good stuff. I should be on the ground in Indianapolis by mid-afternoon on Monday. I'm going to be there mid-afternoon as well. So I will see you uh, for dinner at, at the at the latest. I'll see you for dinner. And then, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the games too. You know, you can become a little jaded after you do this job for a while and stop properly appreciating um, these cool events that you get to go to. And uh, I say that to say I'm, uh, I try not to be, even if I sometimes sound like it. And I'm fired up for uh, – Fired up to get on a plane tomorrow. Fired up to get to Indianapolis. Fired up to be at uh, Banker's Life on Tuesday night. It should be great. So please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rated favorably, five stars with no comments, and of course, if uh, with nice comments, and of course, if you uh, if you <laughs> or a five star with I, no comments, that's that's okay. As okay, well. here, here's what I mean: five stars with nice comments is is option one. Five stars with no comments is better than five stars with bad comments. I think, that, I think that's what I was trying to say. So five stars with nice comments is great, but five stars with no comments, that's fine too. Uh, either way, just go subscribe because that's the best way to get your hands on the latest uh, episode. It'll come right to your little iPhone. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle the Legend. Shouts to Larnell. If you're in Indianapolis, maybe we'll see you Tuesday night. If not, we'll talk to you at the latest on Wednesday. Till then, take care.